ride with me in my foul life. Hello, podcast world. What's going on? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of The Foul Life. Again, thank you all so much for listening, subscribing, leaving those ratings, leaving those reviews. We could not do it without your support. That goes for all of our brands across the board. We're very excited with what's been going on with the brands. We are kind of in a weird time right now with the coronavirus and the quarantine 2020, but we're making the best of it, keeping our chins up, staying optimistic, staying positive, staying clear-minded, and just trying to get as much work done as we can and just keep spreading the good word. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Gerber Knives. You've heard us talk about them before, but you got to see for yourself. Get a tool that you can depend on, and a knife is one of those kind of tools in your bag, in your truck, in your camper shell. doesn't matter if you're processing, butchering, cooking, building a blind. It, it really doesn't matter what you use a knife for. You always want it to be sharp. You want, that, you want it to keep its edge, and you want to make sure that it stays dependable for its existence, and Gerber does that for us. Not only are they dependable, but they're so innovative from their multi-tools to their saws to their closed blade knives to their folding knives to their straight blades um, everything that they produce we love it we're proud and humbled to be partnered with Gerber made right here in the USA in the state of Oregon and right now at Gerber they have what's going on called custom the Gerber custom hashtag Gerber custom where you can go online and design your own knife with a bunch of different designs and fonts and you can put a duck on there or a deer or a turkey you can put your name on the blade you can do a lot of different things so go online right now and check out the custom department at gerber and get what you want get it coming it's going to be sharp it's going to be dependable and that's why we depend on them and we use them today with another traeger recipe and this it leads us right into our other supporting sponsor of today's episode of the foul life podcast gerber, gerber and traeger grills we absolutely love the combination today on the grill we did 4-h pork ribs and we did asparagus and we made a nice little lunch meal for the crew and uh my my guest today you've heard him here before he's been on quite a bit lately during the quarantine because he's really the only person allowed in the studio besides our full-time employees mr sam sabini how are you buddy i'm good how are you doing i'm doing really good how was that lunch it was delicious it was yeah no the barbecue sauce everything went together really good and it got ate up pretty quick so what we did was we put the we, we were using a pro 780 today took a Gerber and we cut off a bunch of the fat. I left some of the fat on strategically on some of the ribs just to make sure that it got that moistness and that fatty taste to it. Uh, I don't know if it's considered a fatty taste, but on ribs, you kind of, it's okay to have a little bit of fat in some places, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I think it, as it slow cooks, especially it renders down and puts that moisture back in the meat, gives it a lot of good flavor. So we, 225 for two hours and 15 minutes, slow cooked them. At that time, we only had two different rubs on. We used the Meat Mitch rub and the Pappy's rub, both out of the state of Missouri. Pappy's is St. Louis Meat Mitch. Mitch Benjamin, he's a badass barbecuer, owns the Char Bar in Kansas City. He has his own line of rubs. So we had the Meat Mitch Kansas City. We had the Pappy's, which has an unbelievable restaurant, several of them in St. Louis under different names but their barbecue is so awesome it's tough to beat pappies their rubs are great today we use the maverick rub so we just rubbed them down 
put them on the grill, 225, two hours, 15 minutes. At two hours and 15 minutes, took them off, turned the grill up to 325 degrees, wrapped them in foil. But before we closed that foil wrap, Sammy, we took some of the simple syrup by Traeger Outdoors and some of the sweet and heat barbecue sauce, which is the green label by green label by Traeger Outdoors. Spread it all in there, not a ton, just put it on there, coated both sides of the ribs, wrapped them in that foil, put them back on there for 30 minutes, took them off at 180 degrees, let them sit 15 minutes, sliced them, served them with asparagus and salad with the little ranch dressing. What were your thoughts? That was really good. And that sweet heat barbecue sauce is probably one of my favorites that Traeger makes. Got a little bit of spice to it. It's not overpowering. If you don't like spicy food, you probably still like it. And that that little extra simple syrup sweetness in there was really good. Yeah, and I think that, you know, people get the misconception sometimes as things start to get bigger and expand out as brands get bigger, you know, like there's Tabasco sauce, right? Correct. There's a reason why it's everywhere. There's a reason why Traeger barbecue sauce is in so many homes and sold at so many stores. There's a reason why Coca-Cola is everywhere, right? It's good. People like it. There's a demand for it. So it's, it's not, you know, I know that there's a lot of great custom sauces and rubs and, and marinades and different things out there, whiskeys and stuff, but Jack Daniels is big for a reason. It's a lot of people buy it because they enjoy it. Tabasco sauce is on every table in every restaurant. Now there are a lot of other choices these days, but Tabasco has been there forever and the reason they got so big is because of the demand for it. So when you hear that, you know, we can make our own barbecue sauces and our own rubs, and a lot of them are great. Me and you could mix them up, and we're talking about doing that right now. But Chad Ward's rubs are awesome. You know, these Traeger rubs are great. Like I mentioned, Pappy's and Meat Mitch's. And there's so many good rubs out there that there's a demand for them. They're getting bigger because that demand continues to grow, and they produce more, and they get more availability and, you know, more consumption going on. And I just don't like the fact that somebody's like, well, that duck call sucks because it's mass produced. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean it sucks. There was just a big demand for it. And yours could sound great too, that you make in your garage on your lathe, right? It could be great, but it doesn't mean that something that's gotten big sucks. And you hear that a lot that, you know, if something's so readily available that it can't be as good as something like your, that pasta sauce and that ragu jar has got to suck because it's mass produced. Well, not necessarily. We can make a lot of sauces and customize them and take our time, but for something that's quick and easy and you're out camping or whatever, and you want to throw a good sauce on some, there's probably nothing wrong with the ragu sauce. And, and it became popular because of the demand of it, right? Yeah, I agree. I think anything that has a large demand is more of a testament to the fact of how many people liked it than it is them selling out. And, you know, they're, like you're saying, there's a lot of sauces and making stuff from scratch and at home is always really fun and really creative. But those big brands are, are big for a reason. And especially in times like these, you might not have all the ingredients to do everything you want your own. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you just I just don't want people to think all the time that something sucks because it's out there so much you know there again it's you can make your own and it's fine but there's a reason why those other ones have gotten bigger and i think that the ability to walk out on your back porch and turn that traeger on and everything's so easy i mean we literally did not open that lid for two hours and 15 minutes you you watch the app you make sure that your temperature's there you watch the temperature of the meat with the probe and boom voila you're ready to wrap them in foil and take them off 30 minutes later and we had a great little lunch so i love that part of you know, being at the studio and having a partner like Traeger that makes it so easy for us to make food taste so good all the time. And we're, again, we're not recreating the wheel. We come up with some out of the box recipes. We customize our own stuff once in a while. We try to spread the good word about, you know, being a provider and cooking your game. 
in, in your ducks and your geese and your deer and your elk and your turkey and your sheep or whatever. We've done it all on the Traeger, but it's nice to know that us who aren't professional cooks, we're not Chad Ward, we're not Wolfgang Puck, we're just normal dudes that love to cook and love being together, and that Traeger makes it easy. Yeah, the easy use of the Traeger is, in my opinion, the best feature of it. Everyone can do it, women, children, grown-up men, and it makes really good food for really people that might not necessarily think that they're professional chefs. Yeah, and I and I think it just brings a lot of pride to a lot of people in a lot of different ways of, man, taste this. I, not only did I do my meat on there, I did bacon and eggs recipe. I mean, I've done egg recipes wrapped in bacon and those little, you know, like cupcake or muffin tins. You can do stuff like that on a tray. You can do desserts. You can do vegetables, all kinds of things. So I'm very thankful for our partnership with them. And it's the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is how awesome it is to be able to not just prepare a meal, but to be able to have that meat. If you don't use it all in that sitting and what you can do with it after the initial recipe of in, and, and making sauces or making gravies or making a stroganoff, whatever it is that it gives you the ability to save some, if you cook a bunch, you know, a bunch of extra on it, because the Traeger, you can do a lot of meat on it at once. You can do a little bit, but we tend to do more than we need, but we always figure out a way to keep consuming it throughout the week. So leftovers are fine too. And I think that to be a provider, it's good to not see something in the refrigerator and be like, Oh, that's two days old let's go you know we're not going to use that let's toss it figure out some way to be you know creative with it yeah i agree i mean we're always going through our refrigerator at home and i'm kind of inventorying what we've cooked and what we have and what needs to be made before it goes bad because i don't think leftovers should ever go to waste if you have them and i know that some of my old relatives would be rolling over in their grave if we, they knew we threw any food away oh yeah for sure i mean I, my dad would he'd be rolling over in his grave because it was nothing for us as kids to show up with our brown sack lunch. You know, we were brown bag kids. We never got hot lunch. Never really wanted it. Once in a while, we'd eat it only because somebody that was on the hot lunch program would beg us to trade for what was in our brown bag because they'd see my dad's sandwiches and it would be whatever we had the night before for dinner in between two pieces of bread with the salad in there. So if there was leftover salad, there was that lettuce on top of the meatloaf or the lasagna or the spaghetti or the fried deer steak or the duck or whatever it was, was in between two pieces of wheat bread. And that was our sandwich the next day. That's how we grew up eating. That sounds great to me. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's, it was, it was almost envy if people would see it and they'd be like, man, I'll, let me have that. Let me eat that sandwich. It wasn't just turkey meat with a tomato slice, you know, it was, which, you know, just a, a regular lunch meat sandwich is fine. But we, we had that a lot growing up to where guys would be like, man, I want to get that sandwich. Let me hold that sandwich. Let me trade you for that sandwich. I'll trade you my hot lunch sourdough pizza. And I'm like, no, that stuff ain't no good. But anyway, I wanted to get into some stuff about this time of year you know, being a duck hunter as you are, and you're addicted to duck hunting, is that fair to say? Absolutely. How soon do we start thinking about the upcoming season? Right now, we're, you know, we're, let's say, seven months away from it. If you start hunting September, October, if you go to Canada, maybe six, six and a half months away, but seven for most opening days in the Pacific Flyway, Central Flyway, then obviously Thanksgiving is, you know, down there in Arkansas, Mississippi, and that part of the South and Southeast. Are you thinking about it right now? Do you start looking at gear, thinking about gear, start taking inventory of ammo and decoys in the boat? And is it start this early or do you kind of, is it still on the back burner right now? No, it starts this early for me. I mean, there's always other things to think about too, fishing, some other off season activities, but I think I think about duck hunting year round. So from the day the season ends, I'm already thinking about 
gear improvements and maintenance on boats and what we can do to be better for the next season and prepared when it comes around. What are you doing right now? What, what What's on your list lately? The late list right now is some improvements at our cabin at the canvasback.club, boat maintenance, making sure those motors are ready to sit, maybe running them a few times throughout the off season, as well as cleaning up decoys, washing old ones, maybe picking up some new ones, getting them rigged up, getting things ready. Are you, when you say letting motors sit, you mean as far as making sure that more than likely you're not going to run your duck boats a lot during the summer months, spring and summer months? Yeah, we probably won't. We might take them fishing a couple times, but for the most part, they go from running three and four days a week to maybe three and four times in that off season. And what are some of the things you do to make sure that they're, you know, that they're not losing their quality or what are you doing to maintain them in those off seasons? Do you wrap the motor in a, are they outside? Are they under storage? Are they in storage? Are they they in a garage or a shop? If they're outside, do you wrap a tarp around them? How do you, you know, summarize them to where the sun's not beating down on them all the time? How are you protecting these units? With our outboard, smaller outboard motors, we take them off and we do bring them inside the garage. Um, Our heavier long tail short shaft style motors, we leave on the boats. We cover them with a blanket and then a tarp, kind of keep them insulated out of that sun, out of the weather. And uh, I like to put a little fuel stabilizer in there and let it run through them so that that stuff that's in the motor is not getting gummy. So are you, you, when you're hunting during the season, is it out of a boat most of the time? Yeah. If we're not hunting out of a boat, I would say at least three quarters of the time we're probably using the boat for access. Do you prefer being in a boat on, on pretty much every duck hunt? Not necessarily hunting out of them, but access in the spot? Yeah. If I can take a boat somewhere instead of walking, that's a lot better deal. Yeah, and it's just more fun, man. It's It just feels bright, right? Yeah, hearing that motor running in the morning and letting it warm up, and it's a good place, good way to organize all your gear. You can bring more stuff, be better prepared for your hunt. I really, I enjoy being in a boat. So what do you, you've seen the boats we run here, the edges with the gator tails on them. You've been in them with us. We used them on the youth hunt at the Canvasback Club. Do you look for it as speed or do you want something that's got storage? Do you want something that's going to get you through shallower water? What are all the things that you look for as a duck hunter in the Pacific Flyway when you're depending on a boat and motor? Around here in the Pacific Flyway, I think that speed is lower on the list just because so many of our um, boat rides are a little shorter. They're not they're not real long boat rides. Speed's always nice. I like to go fast, but priorities in a duck boat that I look for is good organization, comfort, and just somewhere where you can fit a lot of stuff without piling it on top of each other or being uncomfortable. So who, are you driving and operating the boat most of the time? Yeah, I almost always Have you ever gotten into into some shit? Have you gotten stuck? Have you gotten scared? Did you stay out too long when a big storm was coming up, when you're out on some bigger water? Um, Are you pretty safe about it? Because, you know, there's a lot of stories about, you know, making sure that you don't ever take a chance. You know, whether you're in the Mississippi River, I've been on some sketchy days out there. But then you hear about duck hunters being found 30, 40 miles down river from where they got, you know, their boat tipped over and capsized, whatever. Have you been into some shit? Oh, a little bit. I mean, I've always, I've found myself in some situations that I didn't necessarily want to be in. I've gotten stuck more than a few times. Um, I've ran out of gas. But safety, I've never felt safety was compromised. We always have life jackets in the boat. We always have, you know, lights and flares and signals, things like that to where I never thought that anyone was going to get hurt. Um, But yeah, there's definitely times when I wish I'd have done something different, like maybe not dropped a push pole in the water and lost it that day, or maybe made sure I filled up the gas 
or that Dave Stanley filled up the gas, so we didn't run out of gas that day. You're blaming on Dave. Only one time. Does he know it was his fault? Did he take take credit for the mistake? He does. He took the blame. He did. So when he hears this, he's not going to counter you. No. He might add some information about me, but... Like what? I was ill-prepared from the night before for the two-mile walk back to the compound. Really? You had a bunch of courage water, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bitch in the ass? Yeah, it was tough. So why why is it, though, that we start thinking about it right now? What are you... What? What? Why? Why is it so important that we're, you know, a half a year out, it's fair to say right now, why it's just a hobby. It's just a, a thing that we do part time, right? It's, it, or is it more than that? And why are you thinking about it so much to the point to where you're, you're making lists for the week in the spring and summer to make sure that your duck hunting stuff is taken care of. Once it's put away, I get it. The decoys are hung and the boats are secured. Obviously there's other things, your dog, training maintenance on that nutrition on that diet veterinarian you know visits and making sure that all of his records are kept up and his shot records are there but why is it like that with a duck hunter why are we looking to get the next edition of wildfowl magazine why are we chomping at the bit for the first edition of the max prairie wings catalog to be delivered in our mailbox or online i know you're the same as me we're you know we've talked about how much gear junkies we are but why are we that way you think yeah, I think you touched on it a little bit. Um, there's a couple reasons. One, waterfowl hunters are definitely gear junkies, and they love the newest and latest and greatest, and uh, we're obsessive. I mean, it's something that truly defines who we are, and, you know, for me, how I was raised and what we grew up doing, it's a it's an obsessive hobby that takes over your life, but for good reasons. It's It provides year-round with the meat and the enjoyment, the camaraderie during the season, and... Uh, yeah, I think the other reason that I'm constantly thinking about it is I always want to be prepared. I never want to get into duck season and be working on maintenance type stuff. I want to be enjoying the hunting times and the hunting camp, and I want to be really doing as little work and maintenance as possible during the season so I can get the most out of it. So what gear are, do you get most excited about? Is it different every year? Is there something that's got your attention right now that you're just fired up about that you know that's coming out? You've read about it. You've heard rumors, you know, rumblings about it. Um, you're practicing your duck calling. You're, you're working with us in jargon and doing a lot of content for us. You're, you're messing around and operating the new chit-chat call. You love the small talk. What, what, what are you most fired up about right now? Duck calls and decoys have always had my attention. I've always been a decoy junkie. I like to run big spreads. I like to have realistic, good-looking spreads. I like to know what's coming out, how decoys are changing and being innovated, be it body positions or motion decoys, water-moving decoys. And then on the duck call sides, I'm always looking for that new call or new sound or practicing so I can be proficient. What What do you look – I mean, obviously, Jargon's our brand. We're part of that brand. But is it something that you're – using it because your buddy asked you to or gave you one you bought a couple on your own before you before you even started working with us a bunch more you know john david's been using them he's working with us on a new comp call he loves the hunting calls he helped us with the short barrel design is it because of that or do they have something special that really keeps your interest no those jargon calls are really good i mean i like you said i did purchase a few of them when i heard they came out i wanted to support the brand and i'm always looking for that new duck call that might be a little different or a little bit better than the one I have. And I was very pleased with them and decided to keep them on my lanyard and hunt with them last season. 
Um, the, the tone's great. The rasp is there. They're easy to operate, but they don't hold you back. Do, do you like the some of the things you talked about and some content were what is hold in a call? You said that you love the amount of hold that the chit chat has in it. What is hold? Does that mean that it, it, it gets close to squealing out or sticking, but it, it just gets that right amount of hold to where it's got a lot of duck into it and it doesn't, it lets you stand on it enough without cracking or what do you mean by hold? I think at least what I consider hold is um, kind of the efficiency that the call uses the air. When you put that air into it, does it blow right out? Or does the call literally hold the air in there for you and kind of keep it pressurized so that you can get more notes out of one breath or get some different sounds, different transitions with it? Yeah, I think that that's a great way to put it as far as what happens in the cylinder, you know, inside the barrel and then into the insert where the tone channel is and in the drill hole and all that. What happens with your airflow once it's in there. And that's a lot to do with the design of the call and all of the tolerances and, and constrictions and the measurements and the precision of the call. It, that's why I believe that the small talk and now the chit chat, the loud mouth, if you want to read in a half or a, a, you know, like a quote unquote double read the icebreaker, these calls just manipulate that airflow the right way to where when mixed with your back pressure, it just sounds ducky. It's, it just sounds with the whines and the wheezes and the fast stuff, the transitions. You talk about transitions, which is very important, right? A call being adaptable. Or what do you say? What do you what do you want that call to be? I want in the duck call to be easy to operate and I want to be able to get multiple ducks out of it without having to work real hard at it or without having it stick up between different frequencies or volumes of of those notes right so when you're picturing that duck hunt and you're watching those ducks work you you're thinking like an athlete two or three steps ahead like if they do this i'm going to transition to this if they don't come with this greeter i'm going to hit them with a, a faster one a younger duck and that might get their attention right so you're always thinking a couple steps ahead like a shortstop what am i going to do if this ground ball's hit to me is there a runner on first am i turning two or the base is loaded am i throwing it home and getting the force out at home what am i doing as, as an, if I'm a point guard, if I got the ball, am I throwing it to my shooting guard? Am I looking for Shaq in the middle, down, down in the middle center of the key? What are you thinking ahead? And that's what a call is really built to do is like in a negotiation, when you're reading somebody in a business deal or talking with somebody, you're reading their body language and you're like, all right, I think he's going here. So I got to get prepared for this and say this, I'm going to counter it with this, right? And the duck hunt is just a negotiation, right? You're really negotiating with those birds that you're real and they're thinking you're fake and hopefully they're not because you got ripples and everything looks presentable with your decoy spread and you're hidden well. But now when it comes to the vocabulary and the sounds and the audio part of the hunt, it's a negotiation. Like, come on, man, I'm reading you. I'm hitting you with the right things at the right time. I'm doing them at the right volume. I'm not calling when I'm not supposed to be calling. It's a nego negotiation. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You're you are, you're negotiating with them and you're reacting to their reactions with counter reactions and you're reading them and you're not necessarily anticipating, I wouldn't say, but you're, you're constantly reacting. Yeah. And I think that the reactionary part of a duck call is important. So if you see that you're going to go into a chatter and you're just going to go from a, you want it to be able to transition without holding up and that air in there and the right amount of hole in the transitioning part of that call is very important. I think that jargon calls have that. I truly do. And I've been saying that since I 
very first picked up the design that Chris Cifrio had. And a lot of people say, oh, it's just the layers. It's not just the layers. Joe Lairs and Brett Crow are duck call geniuses. As far as sounding like a duck, it's hard to beat Brett Crow. You know Brett. You've I, I assume you do, being around John David. I don't know if you've ever met him, but I'm sure you've heard him online or whatever. The, he sounds like Mallard Ducks. He can kill Mallard Ducks with the best of them. We didn't knock off a call. People say that I copied Brett's design. We, I promise everybody in the world we did not. Chris Cifrio had this design. It's different than the Joe Lairs. And we're not saying that there are some, you know, some comparable parts of it. You know, I'm, the word's skipping me. There are some things that look the same, but it's a completely different call, a completely different animal. And Chris had this design and brought it to me and said, I want you to be part of this. What do you think of this call? And that's how jargon got started. That's the truth. And, you know, as far as people that say, well, it's a layers, it's not blow a layers and blow ours. They're completely different. Layers are badass. They sound like mallard ducks. They're a different style call. They're a different operational call than ours. And have you, have you operated a layers? Yeah. I'm a couple of them. Do you think that it is different than the jargon? Yeah, absolutely. I think they both sound good. They're both nice calls. They definitely operate different and they definitely have different sounds. What do you like about the layers? The layers will get really loud. You can stand on it a lot. Um, I think it can be a little tougher for your average caller to operate, but a very deadly call in the right hands. I agree 100%. And I got nothing but huge respect for Joe and, and what he did in dentistry and in the call world. And then Brett taking it over. I love the Crow family. They've been a great friends of ours, so... It is what it is. Business is business and jargon is jargon and we're doing things different. We now we have a series of J frames coming out. You like the chit chat? I do. I really like the chit chat. It's just got that weird sense of, it's almost like recording in the studio, isn't it? Isn't it weird? Don't you feel different in a studio like this that was built for audio capture and podcasting? Like you don't hear anything at all in the outside world. And it gives you like this weird, and you t I don't know if, if, if you feel it, but I don't feel like it's just a normal conversation because there's, even when you're on a phone call, you hear things in the background on the other end of the phone. You got things going on around you. You might be in your truck and hearing horns and traffic and your tires and all that. There's literally no outside sound in this studio at all. And that's the feeling I get on that chit chat is just like, it's just got that you're in a little hole and you're in a spot where the ducks want to be. And you just sound like this little raspy hen that, and it's a real versatile duck call, but it's just got a real little raspy boss hen sound to it. But does that make sense? What I'm saying about the way that, that the sound comes off in a studio like this compared to being in your little duck hole and, and you just got the world in your hands and you know that your call is manhandling them. Yeah. It's like you're, you're laser focused. And I think that that calls perfect for those situations. It's got a, a mellow, volume you can get fairly loud on it but it's just a very clean sound with not a lot of background noise or anything like that so it's a real compare like a, a real nice accompanying call to like the small talk to, or to a layers call if you decide to have a layers as your stand on louder volume call this is a nice call to transition to when it's a little bit tighter the ducks are in a little bit closer whatever i'm not saying that a layers isn't a finisher so nobody you know think that it's just that it, it's, it accompanies other calls very well including the loud mouth and the small talk yeah, I agree. And it, it adds to your lanyard really well. And no matter what company's calls you're using, I've never, a lot of guys will be the, the one goose call, one duck call guy. And I like having the options of having different calls on my lanyard. So do you, do you see yourself being a guy that has, you say you like to have different calls on your lanyard? Are you consistently changing throughout the season or you blow something on a Thursday night practicing at the pad and you're like, Oh, I'm going to use this this weekend. 
or do you find something that you're just like, this is going to be a, a, you know, it's going to be there 100% of the time on all my hunts? I got a little bit of both going on. I don't change my lanyard a lot throughout the season. I like having a louder call and maybe a mid-range call um, as well as a goose call on there. Um, you know, like I said, if you if you do pick up a new call or something else that you want to try and you fall in love with it, then yeah, it's definitely going to make the lanyard for the next few hunts. And, you know, you got to put it to test in the field. It's fun. They're fun to blow in your house, but they're even more fun to hunt with. But I don't, I don't change my lanyard a whole lot. Maybe if it's super, super windy, I'll make sure I have two loud calls. Are you, do you have a jargon call that will be on your lanyard 100% of the time? Yeah, that's, that small talk will stay on there. I believe it's a really good call. And if I was going to recommend somebody a first jargon call, I think that would be the one I would pick. And would you say the chit chat will be on there 50% of the time or how often will the chit chat be on your hunting lanyard? I think it's going to find its way on there quite a bit to where it stays on there most of the season. I think those two calls, like you were saying before, complement each other really well and that they'll be a really killer duo in the field. And what about being in a spot to where you always have a chance to see a flock of big candidates or lesser candidates? Do you always have a, a short read Canada call or a flute Canada call on your lanyard? I always have a, a short read on my lanyard. I rarely have a flute call on my lanyard. I'm still working on that. It's kind of one of my ongoing goose calling projects. Same thing with goose calls. Are you consistently changing or do you have one that's, that, that's a hammer for you? Um, really, if I have a one go-to for little geese and one go-to for big geese, um, or typically one call that I'll just leave on my lanyard most of the time. And what is it? The G Overaller by Tim Grounds right now finds its way on my lanyard almost all the time. Um, chasing little geese, I really like the real thing, and big geese, I really like the G-Force, all Tim Grounds calls. But it is an all-around Canada call, you're saying the Overhauler. Yeah, I think it's a good all-around call. I think it can get loud and fast for those little geese, but you can definitely also get some really good big goose sounds out of it. I love the overhauler. I think it's it's a deadly call for all species. I love using, you know, like an old half-breed. I love Tim Ground's calls all the way around. I love when we started banded calls back in the day. Our wrecking ball was a stud call. Still is. I still hunt with it once in a while. But Tim, you know, and now Hunter running the company since Tim passed. Rest in peace, Tim. But it's a... That overhauler is so versatile and so well-rounded for all species and subspecies. You can kill lessers on it in Kansas daily. You can kill big geese in Montana on the Yellowstone River with it daily. You can go to Canada and Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, kill all the different subspecies of, of Canada geese. And I just love the mellowness of it and, those, and the, the train notes you can get out of it. I love the feeding gurgles you can get out of it. Um, it's got the right amount of rasp. It's got the right amount of bite to it. It's just, it's just solid. I don't think you can build a better short read goose call. No, I agree. And I think it's similar to the small talk. Tim and Hunter really nailed it with the easy use on that call. I've recommended it to a few people now and they bought one and instantly changed because they just love the sounds they could get out of it that they were having to work a lot harder for on some of their other calls. Who's your favorite du your short read goose caller that you've heard? Is I know you know John David, but who do you think sounds the best that you've been around personally? That I've been around personally? It might have to be John David. I haven't spent a ton of time at contests, um, definitely not at goose contests, to where I've heard people blowing calls. I have heard Robbie Iverson, or no, excuse me, not Robbie. Um, John David and... I'm blanking on a name a little bit right now. Blow some goose calls at a California waterfowl event 
and they were really good. But yeah, personally, I like listening to John David blow Goose Call. He's so awesome. Right up until the point where I'm done with it. <laughs> Which is five minutes? Depends on the day. Could be minutes, could be hours. Uh, Forrest Carpenter is probably one of the other best Goose Callers I've he's ever all, heard in person. Sound, he blows Tim Grounds. Yep. He sounds awesome. I'd say that the two that I've heard of that are best, there's probably, there's so many, but... Alan McCree, Gary McCree, Fred Zink's a stud, Phil Hudnall. But my favorite of all time would probably be Hunter and Kelly and then Scott Trine and like the low end stuff, the the end tight stuff. But, you know, and this is all besides John David. I, I've already went on record of saying he's the best all around game caller. He's the best all around killer I know. But there's some guys in competition that, you know, have a, a, a big time trophy wall you know that that were impressing judges in every part of the country and canada for a lot of years back in like 2001 to 2008 2009 and they just sound so so goosey so and a lot of them scott trinan before he had molt gear kelly powers before he had power calls hunter still obviously with tim grounds you name any of the guys iverson carpenter john david stanley and we could keep going Big Sean Rosen. Now, all of those guys were Tim Grounds guys. That's pretty cool. Fred Zink, Jeff Foyles, all Tim Grounds guys in the beginning. Yeah, I think that, and that's really cool and a big tribute to their uh, their legacies, kind of like almost the, like the Travis Pastrana of Goose Calling, where he's constantly teaching everyone and getting people started and keeping that uh, keeping Goose Calling going and keeping that hunting spirit of passing things along in life. Always teaching tim was he was always a bub always willing to lend an ear or a helping hand and i mean right up until he passed when he'd see me i'd be using you know short doing a routine or something or or in the booth you know doing a demonstration you come up and say hey you got your hand wrong bub do this you get a little bit more back pressure if you had it like this and sure enough he's right he just he spent so many hours in his call shop alone even when Hunter was out fishing or going to school or whatever, Tim was on his own in that shop, just formulating like a mad scientist, literally like in the basement creating Frankenstein. That's what he did with goose calls. He truly did. And he just nailed, nailed it from shaving reeds to shaving guts to molding guts to different lengths of barrels and circumferences and the diameter inside, whatever it was, he literally was a mad scientist of the short reed goose call. Kind of like, you know, there's been guys like that in duck calling. Like, John Stevens is that way with duck calling. The dude can design a call. Yeah. And I think that what Tim brought to the industry was why we're still sitting here talking about, like, the overhauler. Which, before that, it was the half-breed, and, and it was, you know, the super mag, and it was the G the the G thing. And, no, the, the real thing. What was the first one? What was the first short read he made? I have one in the house in Coca-Cola. I can't think of it right now. The classic, I can't remember it, but I got to show you my Tim Grounds collection sometime. Have you seen some of it? The VHS tapes and the cassette tapes and some of the old bags and some of the old do-rags and some of the flutes and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, I've seen some of it. I'd love to see more. Yeah, I, I, I'm addicted to it. But, yeah, I just wanted to get on here today and talk a little bit about some of the gear and what's going through our minds right now. With this this quarantine, is it's weird. It's oh, weird. You're weird. here because we know we make sure that we know 100% where you've been and you've been here and you've been at your house. We are not going out. We're not going to any public places. I'm not going shopping. I'm not going, I'm, there. I'm not even going to my mom's house. I'm not, when I drop my daughter off at my ex-wife's place, we're doing it in a parking lot and we're just switching trucks. We're being very safe, probably too much. 
a lot of people would say we're probably being too anal about this thing, but it's the real, this thing's for real. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I don't think anyone alive right now has seen anything like this and I don't think there's anything wrong with being overcautious. We'll get through this and get back to our normal lives. And I think it'll open people's eyes up a lot to some of the things that maybe we could be doing to prevent stuff like this from happening again. Yeah. And I think that it's, you know, it's doing a lot of things for the mind, the mental state of people, loneliness, how to cope. Yeah. Kids, you know, being a nine-year-old and not being able to be around your friends or your cousins or going to school and school might be canceled for the rest of the year and all of a sudden being homeschooled and not, you know, not being, having any interaction at all. It's a, it's, I've never had to deal with that when I was a kid. And all these college athletes that were just said that you're not going to get your senior year of eligibility left. These guys that were going to be NCAA champions for the third time in wrestling or their baseball season or going to the college world series. What's going on? No college world series. There was no March madness. Um, major league baseball is we don't know when opening day is going to be NBA canceled. I mean, think about those. I mean, the, the, the pros, whatever, they'll have another season, but these college athletes that were seniors that were never going to go to the next level. And it's just said, you're done and you don't get to come back and never do it again. It's pretty crazy. The chain reaction of everything that's, that's gone on is almost unimaginable. It's literally affected everyone. Yeah. There's a lot more important aspects of this quarantine and this coronavirus than athletics. I'm just talking about the psyche of people and how people are going to deal and cope with this stuff. And hopefully we come back as communities and states and this country bigger and stronger because I know lots of entrepreneurs and small business owners and employees that are doors are shut, doors are locked. No revenue is happening right now. And that's a scary thought. Yeah, it is. And I, I hope that all those people and small businesses especially make it through it because, you know, you always want to see good things happen to good people. And there's a lot of bad things happening to everyone right now. Yeah, and I hate it. And, you know, it's all you got to do is turn on the news or the radio, whatever you listen to to get your, everybody's talking about. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I just want people to take it serious and wash their hands and stay at home like everybody's saying. Just do what the leaders are saying to do because obviously they are being told this by people that are educated scientists and doctors and MDs and professionals that get this. And they understand this and they're the ones telling us, stay home. Don't go into crowds, you know, bigger than two, really. It was 10 at one time, but I'm, I'm way less than that on an every, everyday basis. I don't leave my house, really. Yeah. No, it's unfortunate, but I think it's, it's we need to listen to them. Yeah, so let's all keep in mind what's going on with doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and EMTs and hospital personnel and, and police officers and firefighters, and let's keep them in our prayers and our thoughts and their, in their safety. Let's say a prayer for Joe Diffie. Rest in peace, Mr. Joe Diffie. Keep Mr. John Prine in your prayers. He's battling the coronavirus right now. Those are celebrities that you hear about, but there's a lot of people that aren't celebrities. Let's just keep them all in our prayers. Do our part. Stay at home. Wash our hands. Take care of you and yours. And let's make sure that we come out on top of this. We're going to be back with some more episodes where we just talk a little bit. We got a little extra time right now. We're just trying to throw down a little bit of content on Jargon Calls and Tim Ground Calls and Traeger Grills and Gerber Knives. And yes, they are partners and sponsors, but all the big podcasts are have gotten big because of sponsors. And we all, you know, we need that help to get the word out there and market these and showcase them. And our partners and sponsors are everything. So, of course, we're going to talk to them. And it feels so good to have partners and sponsors that we believe in. We don't just say use a Gerber knife for the hell of it. We've had other we've had another knife partner in our past and we've 
graduated to the best because we finally got the credibility in our brands to, to gain the attention of somebody. We didn't just leave Elk Ridge Knives because we had to or because we said, you're, or Gerber said we offered you more money. That wasn't it. It was time. It was natural. We were ready. And we believe in the brands that we promote. And that's why we promote the Jack Links and the Gerbers and the Federal Black Clouds and the Benellis and the Traegers. And they're the best in our opinion. And yes, they do pay us to be their partner. And we we work hard going above and beyond for them on a daily basis. It's a great two-way road, two-way relationship. So you've seen it. You love the brands that we work with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everyone benefits when they work together and believe in each other. Like you said, they believe in you, you believe in them and help promote each other and grow both businesses. So let's make sure that we support the partners and sponsors that support our brands or your favorite podcast that you listen to, whether it's Mr. Adam Carolla or Steven Rinella or Joe Rogan. Those are a couple that I listen to. I also listen to my favorite comedian, Mr. Bill Bird. You listen to his Monday morning podcast. Yeah, I do. You turn me on to it. It's pretty funny. Good. Cooking breakfast or working out or whatever. I'll literally drop a dumb d- dumbbell on my toe. He makes me laugh. Like everything he says, his delivery is just, even how he reads his sponsors. It's hilarious just to hear him read the copy for that because he messes with it and he puts in his little F-bombs and go F yourself. And he's just funny and zip recruiter. <laughs> when you know that partner has got zip recruiter, he'll just be mm-hmm. like, and when you're looking for the right employee, don't hesitate. Just go to zip recruiter. <laughs> and he says it in all these screwed up ways, but Bill Burr, you are freaking hilarious. Can't wait to see you again live. Can't wait for your next special. Please support the partners and sponsors that support us. Big things coming from California Waterfowl Association. Please become a member of CWA, CaliforniaWaterfowl.org. It starts in California and moves eastward. And trust me, they are fighting for our rights politically, water rights, farmer rights, hunter rights, shooter rights, gun store owner rights. It starts in California. Just read up on what the governor's doing there, or I should say what he's trying to do, what just got shut down with these stores being essential. He tried to shut down a lot of the gun stores in Southern California. NRA and other agencies got involved, and voila, they're open. So support them. Also, please support Safari Club International. They are constantly fighting for hunters' rights. We believe in the SCI message, the SCI lifestyle, and the SCI culture. Please go become a member. It's very inexpensive, and it means the world when they have the the money in their bank accounts that these memberships provide to be able to to pay attorneys and to pay different lobbyists and to get us on on Capitol Hill and to fight for our freedoms as hunters and conservationists right now going on with this with this coronavirus that you know you're hearing in fake news about hunting seasons and fishing seasons being closed don't believe the hype like Chuck D and Public Enemy would say go look it up and make sure that you see what Safari Club is doing to make sure that you're getting the knowledge that you need at your fingertips. So please support Safari Club International and become a member today. For Sam Sabini, I'm Chad Belding. Today's episode, again, was brought to you by Gerber Knives and Traeger Grills. Like I said, a great combination. We're going to hit this light right now from on air to off air. Tom, hit that button. Please play the song by 2AM Logic. This is called My Foul Life. Thank you all very much. Yeah. Anticipation rising my